Good morning. I'm not Joseph. I'm Jeff. But I'm going to talk about Joseph and the Jesus that makes Joseph's story make sense. Let's pray. God, uh, we have nothing if it doesn't come from you. You're the giver of all good things, and we need to have your perspective so we start seeing things accurately, both seeing you accurately and seeing ourselves accurately and seeing our lives accurately through your vision and your eyes. So uh, guide me to point to Jesus and stand on the word and help every person hear exactly what you want them to hear from you. You are our authority. You're our loving Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is an awesome message that is so applicable because life doesn't go the way we expect it to or the way we game plan it. Any of you ever been on a plane and get hijacked? I'm not seeing a lot of hands, but it's not exactly something we'd like to have happen. Um, Envision getting on an American Airlines flight headed to Dallas on your way to D.C. and getting hijacked. That's pretty much what happened to me. Here's how it went down. I put my phone on the electronic boarding pass reader. They say, go ahead. I walk down the jet ramp. I get on the plane. I look for my seat. My seat's full. I say to the flight attendant, hey, there's someone in my seat. Any concern over that? She goes, ah, oh, these electronic uh, boarding passes don't always work. Flight's open. Sit anywhere you want. I sit down, relax. Great flight. Land. Get off the jet ramp. Walk into the airport, thinking it's Dallas. Look for my flight to D.C. Can't find it. Go to a gate agent and say, hey, I'm looking for my flight to D.C. He said, oh, we don't have that flight. What flight did you come in on? I said, this flight. He says, no, you didn't. I said, yes, I did. He said, no, you didn't. I said, see that plane? I came from that plane. He goes, but that's not your flight, and that's not your plane. You're not here. I said, yeah, here I am. <laughs> we were both starting to get a little confused. And then he figured out that uh, I had gotten on the wrong plane to the wrong city, despite the electronic reader thing and the flight attendant who didn't double-check anything. And uh, he's kind of miffed and not knowing what to do. So he calls his manager, and pretty soon he rebooks me to D.C., and I got in 15 minutes earlier. I thought it was awesome. I called Stacy, who is my completely opposite, organized, detailed, responsible, do things the right way wife. And I said, baby, this is amazing. It's like God's sovereignty. And she said, that is not sovereignty. That is undeserved grace, and you get way too much of it. <laughs> I just got in the wrong gate with all my friends from family life where I worked, and just assumed this is my flight, jumped on it, and it all worked. And hey, I ended up in D.C. 15 minutes early. Our blitzes, our hijackings don't turn around that quickly, do they? Cancer, lost jobs, breakups in our family. Joseph had more blitzes, deeper blitzes than any of us. And if we can learn from him, we'll stop whining when we hit our blitzes, our trials, and our detours, and those hijackings of our plans, which the whole deal is, our plans are dumb compared to God's. We got to get to that point where we want his plans for our life. Any of you guys familiar with a blitz in football? Not many? It's like, yeah, a few of the women are nodding. Yes, you guys are slow around here. It's a surprise attack where the defense throws a bunch of people at the offense and they're trying to mess things up and tackle, injure, intercept, cause fumbles. They're detouring your play. 
they're hijacking your desire to win. But a blitz isn't just bad, it's also possibly good. Um, in 1991, I was quarterbacking for the Seahawks. It was Sunday night football. We were playing the Raiders. The game went well. Fourth quarter, it stopped going well. The game got tied. We went into overtime. I threw a pass. A friend of mine caught it. Unfortunately, he was on the other team. His name was Ronnie Lott. And uh, I'd been a teammate and friend of his on the Niners before. And uh, they kicked a field goal on first down the very next play from the 20-yard line, beat us in overtime, sudden death. And two days later, I had sudden death, and the coach cut me. And I went from starting quarterback to not even a quarterback in the league anymore. That night, Stacy put the special plate at my spot at the table. The boys said nice things about me. We do that when you get good grades or something nice happens, or you lose your job. And uh, Kyle said the prayer. He's six years old. Dear God, thanks for the food. Thanks for daddy. Please give him a new team. I want him to be on the Eagles. Amen. <laughs> and Stacy and I were cracking up. What is this? Where does this come from? Kyle likes snakes and Legos. Doesn't even know about pro football or that the Eagles have a team. His little league soccer team, he named them for Isaiah 31, our family Bible verse. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. He thought eagles are leaders. Let's be the eagles. So he names a soccer team that and prays that daddy would have the same name. And the next morning, since God loves faith and loves little kids, the GM of the Philadelphia Eagles calls me. I'm, I'm shocked. He says, hey, Jeff, Randall Cunningham broke his leg this season. Jim McMahon's been playing for us, but he's been injured a bit. In fact, he just sprained his ponytail. <laughs> How soon can you be out here? And I'm on a flight the next day, and within nine days, I've relearned a new system. My wife flies out, and the boys are at a game, and I get a concussion and go out the stadium on a gurney with a neck brace and an ambulance. The boys are crying. My wife prays for them. This is a blitz. But they get to go in the police car to the hospital, and they say, can you turn the lights and siren on? They forgot all about me. It turned into the best day of their life. The, the headlines in the paper when my dad had a concussion once, same as, same as me, read, x-rays of Kemp's head reveal nothing. That's probably why he ran for Congress. So a few weeks later, we're going to Houston to play the Oilers. They're now the Tennessee Titans, Monday Night Football. And I really didn't know the system very well. I had a concussion the first game I played. First time I'd ever not really wanted to play. I'm very gung-ho. I want to get in. I want to get in a backup who always wants to get the chance to play. And so I was like, God, I have no confidence. I'm not that excited to play. But the cool thing was, because I've been through so many blitzes and trials and difficulties, I've been discipled through football a bunch, we've been through lots of ups and downs, traded twice, cut once. I knew that God was in control, and so I had no fear. I may play well, I may play bad, I have no clue. I'm not afraid, but actually I really don't want to play because I'm not very confident. And of course, that's the day that I got to play. McMahon got hurt, I came in. Instead of killing him, they were killing me. We got the ball at the 20-yard line and late in the third quarter, the coaches got a little greedy and called a play that was gonna take forever to drop back seven yards, seven, seven steps, nine yards, and throw a post-corner out to the tight end, Keith Jackson. And I'm at the line of scrimmage, 425. This play's not gonna work, 425. I don't have time to drop back three steps, much less seven. What are they thinking? That's not the Tony Robbins power of positive thinking that you want to have on Monday Night Football in the NFL. But then I noticed linebackers inching up, beady eyes, free safety leaves his spot 15 yards deep, and he's sneaking up like a snake in the grass, charging me. I snapped the ball. I went to Dartmouth and could figure this out. This is a blitz. All-out attack. Something either really, really bad 
or really, really what is about to happen. And it all depends on how well the Eagles team is trained to expect blitzes, not think, oh, today's going to be a sunny day, everything's going to go easy, we won't have any problem from the opposition. But we live our Christian life like that. We want our circumstances easy. God has way better plans. And Satan is messing the world up. It's fallen. But God jujitsu's all Satan's moves. And he turns bad to good. And that's what a blitz is about. It's a crisis with danger. Let's take a look at the picture in the Chinese language of crisis. Danger and opportunity juxtaposed. That's what your trials, your tribulations, your difficulties, your hijackings are. But only if you see them through God's eyes. So everyone on the Eagles team had been trained to be ready for blitzes. We had a game plan for them. We had no time to change the play, but we sight adjusted on the spot. I changed to a five-step drop real fast. Keith changed to a post route. Running backs dove in front of linebackers. Everyone sacrificed. We had no one to block the free safety, but I got rid of the ball so quick that it went right by his ear hole before he hit me. He landed on me, and I rolled him off, and I waited to hear what would be really noisy, which is good for the hometown team, or real quiet, which is good for us. And I'm vain enough that I wouldn't be telling this story if it was really noisy. <laughs> and we were losing 13, three to six at that point. But on this blitz, the worst play of the game, from the ground, I heard no noise because Keith Jackson caught a touchdown pass and we got the only touchdown of the whole game on the worst blitz of the game. And we won 13-6 because bad turns good when the team is on the same page and is willing to adapt under tough circumstances, which is the story of Joseph. Because this isn't about football today. This is about you and cancer. You and your folks' divorce. You and not getting into the college you wanted. You and the bad report from the doctor. You and weird economic things and losing your job. And how God's going to use for good what the enemy meant for evil, which is a quote from Joseph, chapter 50, verse 20, which Dan is going to get to in about five weeks. I just wanted to steal the thunder. <laughs> like you, I've lost some dreams. I've been very blessed. Um, my wife Stacy's amazing. We've had 39 years of marriage. We've got four cool sons. They've seen answers to our prayers that they meet girls who love Jesus. They are married. They have little kids coming now. We get to play with grandkids. I got to play 11 years in the football, in the NFL as a free agent uh, who probably wasn't even supposed to make it. I had great friends, great coaches, played with Hall of Famers like Reggie White and Steve Largent, got discipled by amazing guys like those guys, um, had a fun opportunity to strengthen fatherhood and families, working at stronger families in this state. Um, but my big dream was I wanted to be a successful football player like my dad, who was a championship quarterback. And then I wanted to be a significant leader like my dad, but I want to do it in God's kingdom. And I thought it was a noble thing and I should automatically get to do it because it was for God. But the football part, I kind of had a tough loss in my dream one day. Things got hijacked. It was 1988. I'd just been traded from the 49ers. I'd played really well for them, helped them do well when Joe Montana was hurt. They said, thank you very much. We're going to get Steve Young to replace you and trade you to Seattle. And I was here for a year, and then the second year, David Craig got hurt, and I got my chance to start. And we played my old team, the Niners, and it was September of 88. I prepared well. I worked hard. I stayed extra. I watched film. I prayed like crazy. I had my quiet times extra long, thinking God's going to bless me. If I put in a little bit of extra spiritual effort, he'll bless me. That's consumer Christianity, not the real thing. Anyway, uh, and the game 
was going to be pretty cool, I thought, because a coach put his arm around me and said, hey, Jeff, I've been waiting for the day that you'd be the Seahawk quarterback. That's rare encouragement in the NFL. I thought, this is going to be fabulous. But it didn't go so well. My first pass went to Steve Largent, who's never dropped a, light, a ball in the history of the world until Jeff threw him a key pass in his big opportunity game. And after that, I played poorly. Steve didn't. And the team played poorly, and we were behind 24 to nothing in the first half. Montana threw five touchdowns that day. I only completed four passes in the first half, three to the wrong team. <laughs> My old friends on the Niners. It was a bad, bad day, like that Alexander's Terrible Day thing book. Um, and I got benched at halftime. I went from first string to third in my opportunity to become a quarterback who could start for the Seahawks, lead us to the playoffs, take us to the Super Bowl. My dream was shattered, and it wasn't fun to be third string anymore. And I remember a couple weeks later, or maybe just a week or two later, um, the pain was kind of significant in me, and I was laying on the floor after putting our kids to bed with Stacy, and I'm laying on our apartment floor in Redmond, and I'm kind of sniffling back the tears and talking to her. I said, babe, I can't believe how much this hurts, and it doesn't. I'm not just upset that it hurts so much. I'm upset that I let it hurt this much because I thought my faith was stronger than this. I thought I I wasn't so dependent on circumstances. I was discovering that I had wrapped up more of my identity in football than I thought and more of my happiness in circumstances than I thought. And all those Jesus speeches I give in the offseason aren't so actually true. And I got some ways to go to be more like Joseph and more like Jesus. But you know what? God at that point wasn't missing for me. He was more present than ever, and he was replacing a lesser dream of being a starting quarterback who'll give credit to God in the NFL. He was replacing that football dream with a better dream. God doesn't want to fix your circumstances. He wants to fix you so you can handle them and give glory to him, to people who have no hope. And if you have cancer and you're loving people and praising God and not panicked, if I get to live two more days or 20 more years, glory to God, I'll shine for him like Joseph did. That'll lead people to Christ. Not Super Bowl rings and what a success my Christian life is. All of us face blitzes. All of us have dreams get hijacked. You're probably thinking of some blitzes you face, and especially the ones who are in a blitz now know what you're in, and it isn't turning around yet. What dreams of yours have been hijacked? The key to this is whether you've shaped those dreams or God has. If we follow the way of Jesus, who received everything from the Father and said, I don't say or do anything that the Father doesn't give me, and I'm always at work doing his work, then our dreams won't be so off track that when things go wrong, we're in a panic. Jesus got blitzed. The ultimate blitz, right? He was the superstar on Palm Sunday, but by Thursday and Friday, everyone had left him and scattered, and he he was, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. It was an unbelievable turn of events. It was the worst blitz ever. His guys were shocked. They all abandoned him. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. They falsely accused him. They falsely convicted him. They whipped him to near death. They made him drag a cross up a hill. None of his guys but his mom and John were there. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And he's saying, it is finished. I've completed the task. I paid the price. Sin is wiped out. Death is defeated forever and ever for anyone who will accept it. And then he dies. And then it looks even worse because he's buried and he's gone for three days. But he'd been telling them over and over, I'm coming back. And he did. And the victory is amazing. 
And that's why we are all transformed. That's the Blitzbeater. If you spend two seconds a day thinking about that, your circumstances will dominate you. If you spend two minutes a day thinking about that, your circumstances will dominate you. But if you start thinking 24-7 about that, God will dominate your circumstances no matter how bad they are, including as bad as Joseph's, and his got bad. Your life's going to be amazing for the rest of your way if you live by receive your identity as a son or daughter from God and receive your blueprints for how to live and receive the power to do it minute to minute to minute from God the way Jesus did. And you will get that by living in Jesus, abiding in him and abiding in the word, not as a Christian trying to do this Christian thing, but as a son or daughter listening to your daddy, talking to you and guiding you, and then huddling with a couple close friends because this is a team effort, this Christian thing, right? And men, do not go Lone Ranger on us. Get some friends, huddle up, connect every week. Talk to Brad about it. He's got a game plan for everyone in this church to have friendship. Women, you do that more naturally. Just get rid of kind of the catty gossip part. That's not, that's a generalization, sorry. Men, stop being Lone Ranger. Stop being so isolated. Stop faking it. Get real, not on Twitter, but with two friends who you meet with every week and you tell what's the most important thing going on. I'll pray for you. How can I pray for you? All of this depends upon ownership. If you own your life, blitzes will really bother you. If God owns your life, you'll say, wow, God, this doesn't feel good, but you're up to something. I can't wait to see how you're going to handle it. I'm in your hands. Let's go. Game on. And you won't handle it alone because he wants you to handle it with your friends. First of all, if you're married with your spouse, most important team ever. In football, we have strategies to beat blitzes. We game plan for them. In life, we don't. Christians, above all, should have game plans for trouble, difficulty, and hardship. Read James, read Peter, and I'll take us to Romans where it's going to game plan this. Here's three strategies. I lay these out in this book, Facing the Blitz, three strategies for turning trials to triumphs. This is kind of from Jesus and from the Apostle Paul. Um, Basically, if you want to beat blitzes, you need a long-term view. That's strategy number one. For the joy set before him, eternity... Christ endured the cross. Don't look at this weekend or this moment or this quarter. Look at the whole scope of eternity. That'll help you beat your blitz. Number two, be humble and willing to change. Definition of insanity, keep doing the same thing you've done and expect the same or different results. Get humble and say, God, I'm willing to change. You gotta be adaptable. And that's what we were on the football team, we changed. Stop talking so much. Start listening more. Stop holding on to your money. Spend it. Stop spending it all. Save it. Stop defending yourself. Start apologizing. Forgive your dad for the things that you haven't forgiven him for or whoever's hurt you. Be willing to change. Let's look at Joseph and his wild story and see how he handled his blitzes and the hijacking of his dreams. Man, Dan talked about the dysfunctional family this guy came from, his dad's multiple wives, obvious favoritism, very poorly fathered sons who were jealous, mean, and hated him to the degree that they wanted to kill him. He was only 17 years old. 
man, if we keep Joseph in mind, I don't think we'll whine so much about our problems because his are big. Here we are, Genesis 37, verse five. One night, Joseph had a dream. He told his brothers about it. They hated him even more than ever. Listen to my dream. Hey, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and yours all gathered around. They bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, you're gonna be our king? You actually think you're gonna reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of it. I got three quick lessons when I read this part of it. Number one, from Proverbs 27, two. My wife used to say this to my boys when they bragged about how well they played in a football game. Hey, um, let someone else praise you and not your own lips, not your own mouth. Abe Lincoln said something uh, even (laughs) more uh, interesting in the sense that it's funny. Better remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. But he stole that from Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent with their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. That would help us, husbands. Don't defend yourself. Don't say the dumb thing. Lincoln probably wishes he didn't tell Mary that she looked chubby in that dress when she asked, but he had to tell the truth. I don't know if you've seen the Geico commercial. That's where I got that. Verse nine, soon Joseph had another dream. Again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. He told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, and his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Your mother and I, your brothers are going to come bow before you? But while his brothers were very jealous, his dad thought maybe something's up with this guy. He wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went out to work in the pasture, take care of the sheep. The dad sent him out there. Uh, He said, hey, go see your brothers and bring a report back out to me. That's another parenting tip. Don't ask one kid to report on another. Favoritism isn't good and that comparison thing isn't. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan. He found them there. And when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him at a distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. This is a bad family situation. Pretty brutal blitz. But even their plans didn't unfold. Proverbs 16.9 says, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our step. Always keep in mind, no matter how bad someone is doing something to you or intending to you, or even Satan, who's the source of all the bad things, your husband or wife in a bad marriage isn't the enemy. Satan is. You got to team up to fight the enemy. Don't listen to the false views and ascribe them to another person. People aren't evil because of themselves. They're evil because the enemy's tricked us and we've run away from God. But God designed them and they can come back to him. God prevails. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns. We'll tell our dad a wild animal ate him. Then we'll see what happened, what becomes of his dreams. Reuben had a a heart, his brother, and said, uh, hey, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into an empty cistern here in the wilderness and he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was actually going to secretly uh, rescue Joseph and return him to the father. But when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his beautiful technicolor dream coat. (laughs) Reference Broadway. They grabbed him and threw him in the cistern. Wow. When you are down in the pits, God is still with you. In fact, the thing about the pits is sometimes you realize, I got nothing going well for me. Maybe God is the only thing I have. And then you realize how great he is, which you've been taking for granted earlier. Jesus said, be sure of this, I'm with you always. Matthew 28, 20. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from God's love. 
Joseph, you guys, was kidnapped. He was actually trafficked. We live in a brutal stage in, in history. We're going back to slavery. But history's been bad before, and Joseph faced the worst of this. How did he handle himself in these blitzes and hijackings? He was only 17 when all this stuff happened to him. But here's the key. Joseph lived in faith, and I kind of think that Joseph let God own his life instead of himself. Otherwise, I can't see how he could have handled all this well. Because he handled it so well that it says over and over and over, the Lord was with Joseph. Because of his faith and identification with the Lord, the Lord was with Joseph when he was in the pit and when he was on top, and when he was in jail and when he was on top. But it starts with his identity. I belong to God. I identify with God. He depended on him. He had a continual relationship with him. He he abided in God. We're to abide in Jesus and abide in his word. And therefore, God put his abundant favor on Joseph when he was in slavery and when he was the leader of Potiphar's household, which is going to come in the next week's message. And then when he was in prison, falsely accused, and then ignored for two years, did favors for people because he wasn't focused on himself. Even in prison, he was blessing others. And then when he was let out of prison and became the number two leader in all of Egypt for the Pharaoh. Let's see what Joseph was like in the middle of his blitz and the detour here. This is Genesis 39, 21. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and he showed him his faithful love and the Lord made Joseph a favorite of the prison warden. And before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. This is a wild story. Can you imagine that? Putting a prisoner in charge of the whole thing? But that's because there was so much God in Joseph. And there won't be a lot of God in you unless you let God own you. God, I can't do it. I need you. I'm excited about you. Dominate me. Own me. Control me. Lead the way. Get rid of my dreams. Replace them with yours. I'm going to sign the title deed of my life over to you. Now you can drive the car. Which he may say, hey, get back in the seat and do some work and drive, but I'm going to guide you. You have a new GPS now. Here's Joseph's posture and his focus while he's in prison. Not victim but steward of the opportunity that God gave him. And in that stewardship, Joseph was a servant. In your trials and tribulations, be a servant. Genesis 40, verse 6. Joseph noticed some other guys in the prison. One was a baker, one was a cupbearer to the Pharaoh. And they were bummed out and sad being in jail. And uh, he said, why do you guys look so worried today? This is cool. This man, in a blitz, is paying attention to the emotions of other people. Husbands, let's take a clue and pay attention to the emotions of our wife and our daughter. And your son will hide them, but you ask a few questions shoulder to shoulder versus face to face, and he may unfold it. Pay attention to the emotions of other people. Be concerned and attentive to them and their concerns. Ask questions. So despite blitz after blitz, by his brothers and being sold and falsely accused by a woman that said that he was the one who caused trouble trying to rape her when he actually was the noble one who wouldn't fall for her uh, running after him. You'll find that one in one of the next chapters too. Despite all that stuff, stuck in prison, God's favor elevated Joseph. And then when he got on top with success, he didn't get cocky. He always said, I can't interpret the dreams 
Only God can, and he did that for two prisoners. Pharaoh said, can you interpret my dream? He said, I can't interpret your dreams, but God can. Do you see that God confidence versus self-confidence? All day long, you and I ought to be saying, I cannot do this, but through Christ, I can handle all things. God can do this. Something good happens, give God credit. Something bad happens, God's in charge, and he's going to work this for good. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. For those who love God, don't put the period there, and who are called according to his purpose, meaning his dreams, his game plan. And his purpose is what? Anyone know what the purpose for us is in Romans 8.29? It says that we are meant to be what? Conformed to the image of Christ. So if you get shaped to be more and more like Jesus, that'll improve your, your husbanding, your wifing, your teenagering, your leadership, your coaching, your teaching, and your blitz handling. So admit your weaknesses and affirm God's goodness and his capabilities. Because blitzes are actually Jesus' paradigm for handling life as a Christian. God takes bad things and turns them good. That's the way he does things. So don't be shocked at them. Our difficulties aren't a failure of God's plan. He's actually using them to mature our faith, to grow us. Tony Bennett is a Christian who coaches University of Virginia. They are a basketball team that lost an embarrassing game. They were ranked number one and lost to number 16 in the Sweet 16. It wasn't sweet that year for them, and everyone made fun of them. He took that to develop the character of his team, and his wife helped him with a great quote she got from a TED Talk, and he used it with a team that year. He said this to them, adversity handled the right way will buy you a ticket to a place you couldn't have gone any other way. Adversity handled the right way, meaning a blitz, a detour, a hijacking, handled through faith in Christ that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, will turn out God's way for good. Jesus faced the ultimate blitz, and Jesus coached us to face blitzes. Do you know what Jesus said about blitzes? It's in the Bible. He said, in this world, you're going to face blitzes, but don't panic, I've overcome the blitz. You don't have John 16, NFL version of the Bible? Yeah, NLT? In this world, you'll face trouble, but do not fear, I've overcome the world. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5, 3 to 5, gives us the game plan for blitzes. He says, I rejoice, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials and blitzes. That's in my NFL version, the blitz part. For we know that blitzes and trials and problems and suffering help us develop persevering endurance. And persevering endurance develops strength of character like Christ. And proven character strengthens our confident hope in salvation and eternity. And this hope won't disappoint us because now we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts up. When your life is going great and you're not worried at all about anything or paying attention to God, you don't realize what an amazing treasure you have in heaven. But when your life stinks and you actually turn to God, you realize, oh, wow, he died on the cross, he forgave my sins, I'm gonna live forever. This circumstance is nothing. If your lawnmower shed burned down, and you had a 10,000-foot mansion, would your lawnmower shed bug you very much? No. But if your lawnmower shed is all you think your life is, and you don't realize that you have a 10,000-foot mansion, 
You're going to whine. You're going to worry. You're going to, oh, woe is me. I'm a victim. How many Christians live like that? Where's the victory? Where's the testimony? You have a 10,000 foot times 10,000 foot eternal mansion in heaven, a father that loves you like crazy. He's adopted you, forgiven all your sins, called you an ambassador for Christ. You're his beloved son, his beloved daughter, in whom he takes pleasure and delights, even when you're sinning and messing up, because guess what? He sees the whole movie and he gives you credit for who you will be in heaven now. So live from your identity. Let him beat the blitzes. Get a team. Be honest about your sin, your trouble. And let it be turned for God's good. Now, it's hard to rejoice in blitzes and trials, isn't it? Unless you know about that mansion. So verse 1 and 2 of Romans is where Paul tells us to rejoice in the eternal treasure. Like the guy that went to a field, found a great treasure, got so excited. He, in his joy, he went and sold everything else he had so he could own that treasure. This is what Paul says in Romans 5, 1 and 2. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Please stand up. You're all NFL linebackers. Sink your feet into the ground, ready to play some tough defense. Bend your legs a little bit and realize your feet are planted in grace. Unconditional, agape, you can do nothing good enough to make God love you more and nothing bad enough to make him love you less. He'll never, ever leave you. You just forgot about it because Satan tricked you. And your blitz isn't a bad thing. It's God working to conform you to the image of Christ, make you more dependent upon the team of believers because you can't beat blitzes alone. And then use your cancer, use your firing, use your second string backup funny NFL stories, different than Super Bowl ring famous stories, to help guide other people to true lessons about Jesus. Because your mess becomes your message. And pretty soon your message leads to the answer. And the answer is the gospel. Jesus Christ is God's solution. Come to us. So please have the long-term view, the humility to be willing to change, and the focus on others. And with that strategy that Paul practiced, and that Joseph practiced, and that Jesus modeled, and that Jesus empowers, you'll be able, in your blitzes, to say things like Joseph did to his brothers when they were afraid of him punishing him. Hey, don't worry, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. So we can love our neighbor, we can love the person that's mean to us, we can disarm the angry person, apologize to the damaged person, put others at ease, help people be curious about Jesus, return evil with good, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, and stop fearing people and their opinions and start being real. I like the name of this church. So next time you're blitzed, remember the greatest treasure. Say, my problem has mainly been that I'm owning my life instead of giving him ownership. And I need his way of turning bad things to good. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much that Jesus did all this. Thanks that you would sacrifice your son. I wouldn't sacrifice my guys for these great people but you sacrificed Jesus for us. And then Jesus rose from the dead. He beat the blitz and he showed us the way. So help us keep your long-term view. Be excited about our much more than 10,000 foot mansion. Rejoice in the hope of heaven. Humbly be willing to change. Stop focusing on ourselves and focus on blessing others. And bring you glory through our trials and tribulations, our blitzes and detours and the hijackings of dreams 
that we designed that aren't as good as the dreams you designed. In Jesus' name, amen.